Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. I'm starting the show off mad already, man. And I don't know why we're doing this every single time we hop on the mic, but there's something new that has to happen. I have my script. I have the first segment ready to go, and then I want to get off the bus. But then Wes has to tell me, you do look like a Duke player. Done. Immediately angry. And now I'm mad at Wes, and he's just eating on his chips, getting research done for the first segment. Yep. Everything's all cool with him. Everything's casual. <laughs> it's all good. I just got called a Duke player, and I look like one. And we were talking about North Carolina Duke this weekend, and I did say somebody called me and said that I looked like a Duke player one time. And I'm, I'm afraid to say it because I, I don't want to do it. I, I'm only going to enhance the people and their opinions against me. But somebody said I looked like Kyle Singler one time. And I wanted to fight him. No, no, no. Don't point. Don't point. Don't Walker, point. Walker Filipowski. No, no. Well, see, it's, it's funny because because I would rather be it. They, they just found the right button to press too. Kyle Singler. Look like there, a lizard. Is there is there a player you would least like to look like more than Kyle Singler? John Shire. No, I, I'll be John Shire. No, no, you're wrong about that. I'd much rather be John Shire. I'd much rather be John Shire than Grayson Kyle Singler. Allen? I'd much rather be Grayson Allen. Like Ted Cruz's degenerate son. I mean, that's actually that's actually true. There there is a connection there. But Kyle Singler, man, I did not want to look like that guy. And then <laughs> and then so we were in a group of people. A couple of people said, like, you know what? Yeah, you do kind of look like. I was like, no. I was ready. It's one of those things where you get your first punch. Because in it's and the then clean face for the I most part. To shave. Look at my neck beard. It's I'm like fitting. Yeah, but here. it's clean face, you know, especially now that you have a haircut. Something to go in there and look at our reel no, that no, we the, put on a WFNZ um, Instagram page and white. Twitter. It's because I'm white. I look and like Facebook. a Facebook. Look at that video and tell me, Walker, with the fresh cut, because they hadn't seen you on a reel with the fresh cut yet. You do look like a 47% three-point shooter for Duke that talks no, noise Duke. to the crowd. You went to an elite private school. People doubted you. <laughs> yeah, people doubted you because you came from an elite private school. I hate it You so averaged much. 17 a game and just pure pure water from three. I, I hate it. I, you know what? I actually was not a great three-point shooter. I only shot – I only made one three-pointer mm-hmm. in high school. Only yeah. one. That was the only one I made. I'm just telling you right now. I'm actually bragging about not being Textbook a good three-point shooter. Textbook jump shot because your dad could afford you a $200 an hour coach. So, okay, that All that actually hits a little too simple. <laughs> that actually happened. You said uh, All of this stuff that Wes is naming off existed in 1977 – you didn't make any threes because the three-point line didn't exist when you were balling out for Charlotte, taking them to the Final Four. That That's true. No, people, I'm so mad at my listeners today. Like, come on now. Why are you doing this, saying that's so true? There are people that agree. Yeah, look at the real. Uh, no. Gosh. All right, we can get off the bus. Oh, all right. Open, <laughs> open the freaking doors, I'm man. I'm rolling off. Uh, open the doors. Allow Getting me off to with li- your Duke warm-up. Uh, allow <laughs> me to to lie in the road, and then you run over me with all of this. Open up, open up the bus, Fitty, please. We look good getting off the bus. No, we don't. I got something to say. Damn! <laughs> Kick it! I can feel it. 
looked ugly as hell getting off the bus. Let's start with the Charlotte Hornets conversation, though. Then we'll get into some Duke, North Carolina talk. The Hornets, they fall to Chicago last night, but that's not even really the story here. LaMelo Ball got ejected with one minute and 20 seconds left in the game. Probably over. Improbable comeback would have had to happen for the Hornets to win, but I guess there was still a shot, whatever. LaMelo gets ejected because he was arguing a no call on a fast break opportunity. Zach Levine clearly hits him in the elbow, doesn't get a whistle. LaMelo argues that and then gets a technical eventually ejected from the contest. This coming after a game against the Milwaukee Bucks where Giannis hits LaMelo in the face and doesn't get anything. LaMelo does not get a... And by the way, there was a time LaMelo got hit in the face in this game against Chicago and nothing happened. So it's getting real out here for LaMelo. He argued, gets ejected. We saw him show some competitiveness in a fiery way the last two contests. Steve Clifford was asked about it after the game. Here's what Steve Clifford had to say. He knows this. We have one rule, no fourth quarter technicals. You can't take them. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's inexcusable um, because, uh, you know, it's a fourth quarter's different. So uh, we had a couple early in the year, and um, you're right. You know, he does it because he wants to win, but you can't, you know, you can't take it there. Look, this should be spoken under the umbrella that is their close relationship with one another. Steve Clifford, LaMelo Ball, they have been documented to have a very good relationship. This is the wrong comment from Steve Clifford, man. Like, I'm happy LaMelo got angry. It's about time he gets some foul calls. It feels like it's been too frequent now where he's not getting any blatant foul calls. These aren't any, these aren't ticky-tack fouls that he's asking for, like stars in the league that you get usually the star calls. He's getting hit in the face. He's getting hit egregiously so on the elbow. Like, these are fouls, and he's not getting them. And LaMelo has every right to be upset. And I don't mind the ejection, Wes. This is something new. This is not LaMelo being disrespectful to the officials all year long. Like, this is something new. And so I'm glad that he's actually showing something and trying to do something about it. Hey, I'm being more aggressive. I'm driving to the goal. Blow the damn whistle. I like it a lot because I like the fact that he's showing that fire, that competitiveness, just outwardly showing emotion. I think, though, at the end of the day, the refs are just treating the Hornets like their record. They say, hey, you guys haven't earned anything. LaMelo, yeah, you've been an all-star, but you haven't earned uh, just that that global respect yet. So we're not going to call anything. It's not right, but that's kind of how the league goes. I think right now he's still a little bit in that paying dues process where the refs are just kind of treating him like a jag, uh, just another guy. <laughs> so LaMelo's upset about it. He's not having it. And so I think we will see more of this as the season continues, especially with the frustration of losing and then coupled with not getting calls. That's always a recipe for a blow up. Well, and look, man, I mean, Steve Clifford, I like what he's done as far as building a relationship with these players. We know that Kelly Oubre, he just talked about how he would like to stay in Charlotte. He likes his teammates. He likes Steve Clifford. They've developed a good relationship. You have with the same star, and that was a big question about him being named the coach again. How much of a player's coach could you be? Because he had had his problems with other players in the past, but that's not true for this season. When you speak in front of the media, 
when you are taking questions and you're going to answer to the public, I don't like hearing Steve Clifford call it inexcusable. I think it's a good rule to, to have zero technicals in the fourth quarter for these players. It's normally a good rule. But, Wes, we can apply context to some of these rules and have some forgiveness here. It, it, th- this is the thing. If LaMelo was somebody that constantly tried to show up the refs, if he's Pat Bev out here getting a camera from the stands Luka. and then showing him to the official, if he's Luka Doncic and he's whining at every call, even Tim Duncan, who is known as like the most boring superstar of all time, Tim Duncan never committed a foul in his entire life, if right. you ask Tim Duncan. LaMelo is not like that. In fact, if you go back and look at LaMelo after foul calls on him, he would go to the official and say, hey, what am I doing? How can I learn from this? Apparently, he did that in the offseason, too. And so now LaMelo's not getting any of these foul calls that are bad. He's getting hit in the face. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. Go look at the tape. Dude's getting hit in the face, and there's not a foul call. Like, this is a real problem, and Steve Clifford says it's inexcusable. Like, this doesn't mean that Steve Clifford's a bad coach. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the tenor of the locker room. But that was a word that didn't sit right with me. This is a time that I think you can defend your superstar, and you don't have to go in on the refs. If you don't want to get fined, cool. But I think there is a line where you don't have to say this is the rules. He has to know better. It's inexcusable. I think that was a time, Wes, where Steph Clifford needed to, Steve Clifford needed to say, no, this is something that has been a problem for a while now, and it's time he starts getting called. Yeah, I agree with you as well. Um, he, you always want to step up and defend your players, especially when you see egregious things happening, like the calls that we're talking about, him not getting calls at all. Coaches always send messages through the media, and I think that would always help. Uh, I wonder how LaMelo maybe took that as far as him not backing him up right there. But Clifford's old school, and I guess you just have to chalk it up to that. And the rules are there. I get it. Uh, I just, I thought I thought the context mattered here. And I go back to a conversation that one time I had with Kevin Artovitz, who was an ESPN writer. He's been fantastic. He writes long-form pieces. And do you remember Dave Fisdale giving us possibly the greatest press conference of all time? When the Grizzlies played the Spurs, uh-huh. the Spurs got a million calls. The Grizzlies got none. Fisdale went to the press conference and he says, take that for data. One of the best lines. I think I remember that. He also says, they not going to rook us. Okay? I remember that. so, So that was not a message for the media. That was a very public channel sending a message to his team. And Kevin Artovitz said, it is clear now that when these coaches go to the podium, they view that as a platform to speak to their team in a very public way where it has more meaning. And so when you have that channel available to you, how do you choose to use it? Look, Steve Clifford probably didn't even think about it. That's fine. But maybe LaMelo does take it in a bad way. And you know what? I think Steve Clifford is a man that probably could go to LaMelo and say, look, I probably should have said something. I was thinking about why we lost the game, whatever. Look, we don't have to have this as some future indictment on Steve Clifford as a coach and say he's always Yeah, and we already know that relationship's fantastic. Exactly. So we don't have to get it too twisted here. But, man, big moment. And I wish Steve Clifford would have answered differently. Inexcusable is a strong word to use. I don't know if he meant to have that strength behind it like it sounded, but it's a strong word to use, and especially when you disagree with it. Yeah, and again, it'll be interesting to see going forward because I don't think this will be LaMelo's last time he gets ejected or his last technicals. I think that as the season goes on Mm -hmm. and the losses kind of rack up, I think that LaMelo, if he's not getting the calls he feels he deserves, uh, I I like his uh, slapping the uh, 
I don't even know what they uh, forget what they call it, but slapping the thing. You know, the, he slaps the pad on the bottom of the oh, goal. Oh yeah, 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 the pad. I guess. Yeah, yeah. He that does that, and then he did it yesterday. But he stopped him. He kind of stopped himself a little bit. But that's kind of my favorite. I like to see him throw that tantrum and slap the pad. <laughs> well, <laughs> real quickly before we move on, talking about the relationship with Steve Clifford to the other players as well. Kelly Oubre did have some comments uh, with Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer, and he did talk about how much he loves Charlotte, how much he wants to stay here. Did mention Steve Clifford, I believe, and he did double check that, but he did mention the coach, how much he likes it with this organization. As we approach the trade deadline, we can have more of this conversation, especially next week. Should that matter to Charlotte that Kelly Oubre, one of the more valuable trade pieces, or I should say hot names on the trade market, should that matter to Charlotte about how much he likes it here as to how they operate at the deadline, or should it not matter at all and you just got to better your team, whatever you deem? I think it depends on how they see Kelly going forward. It's as simple as that. Do they see him as a piece that is going to be a part of the fabric of this team going forward? If they do, then yes, it should matter. If they don't, then no. Then they should just send him on his way and get what they can to try to go in another direction with this team. But I could see him liking this. I feel like he's flourished the most here of any of his stops. He's really become like, you know, he's big with the fans and the stuff he's done with his fashion line and working with kids here and stuff like that. So I could see him really enjoying the roots that he's put down here not wanting to leave. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens with the deadline. And goodness gracious, man, blow the whistle, please. Just please give LaMelo some calls. We'll transition. We'll talk about college basketball coming up next. But still, in my opinion, a very big game between North Carolina and Duke taking place this weekend. What is the weight behind the rivalry right now? And what are some of the pivotal matchups, your favorite moments? We're going to live in Carolina Duke nostalgia. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. One of the best plays, one of the highlights you see when discussing North Carolina and Duke. We're all gearing up for that game tomorrow. It should be an exciting one. And we want to hear from you via the Garage Door Guru text line. You can text us at 704-570-9610. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I will read some of the texts that came in after Wes said I looked like a Duke player. Wolfpack James wrote in, I'm sorry. This is now the Kyle Singler and TJ Warren show. <laughs> Have you ever been told you look like TJ no, Warren? No, I've not. I know they said that before on here, though. <laughs> so this is the Kyle Singler, TJ Warren show. Panther Bo said, Walker Wojciechowski. Ha, I'm sorry. 919 said, which insult is worse, Singler or Jameis Winston? Somebody thinks you look like Jameis Winston. Yeah, I've gotten that a few times. Have you gotten Jameis? Mm-hmm. Do you hate it? Do you care? I don't think I look like Jameis Winston at all. <laughs> Singler's still worse, though. Blindside Chris said, Walker, if you're going to be from Duke, you're going to have to speak more through your nose. Can you do your impression of Coach K that you always do, Fitty? What's your major? Thank you. All right, son of Suede, he said, I wouldn't want to look like Bobby Hurley. and And outside of Duke, I would not want to look like Sam Cassell. Oh, that's tough. Sam Cassell, that one's a... 
Yeah. Human worm. <laughs> I love Sam Cassell. Ooh. Um and seven oh four he also said uh, I would not look I would not want to look like Coach K. Oh my God. So Coach K was the one there. Feel free to text in seven oh four five seven oh ninety six ten after I told the story, somebody saying that I do look like Kyle Singler. Um and uh yeah, so one of my yeah, one of my buddies, one of my bu- I think it was yeah, one of my buddies just texted in. He's listening, and then I think it's his brother who called me that I look like Kyle Singler. You you turn the channel. You don't get to listen, and neither does your uh, twin brother by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Let's talk about favorite Duke, North Carolina moments, though, because growing up, this was the best rivalry in sports. There's no doubt about it. I would take it over Ohio State, Michigan. I would take it over Yankees and, and the Red Sox. And if you're from here, I think most people would agree that North Carolina Duke is the best rivalry in all of sports. My question is, and I, I know Colin was talking about this as we were transitioning from one show to another. How much weight does it hold now? Because the heels beat Coach K and Cameron Indoor, right? That, w- that was a big moment in the rivalry. But at least it wasn't in the NCAA tournament until they did meet in the tournament. Mm-hmm. It was a Final Four appearance. Literally the only way that game could be bigger is if it happened in the championship game. So you did not reach the absolute pinnacle, but I mean, you got as close as you could possibly get. Yeah. You, I mean, that that's it. That That's the only way you can get any more important. And to put Coach K on his last game there too, I mean, that might even be as important as a championship game, to be honest with you. Like the fact that he can never make up for it as a head coach. So with all of that power that North Carolina has at the moment, some people might say that the rivalry is over or that it doesn't mean as much or that there's a new chapter. How do you view this rivalry, given where we are now, coming off of two huge North Carolina wins over Duke, last Coach K game in Cameron Indoor, last Coach K game ever? I think with anything in life, there's going to be an adjustment as far as just getting used to this particular chapter of the rivalry. I still think it's huge. I still think it's relevant. Um, The media is always going to gas it up. I put together a fire hype video that you can look at on the ACCDN on all platforms that I put uh, entitled, Which Blue Are You? And, uh, but no, I think that... uh, as I said, it's just going to take some adjusting from the fans with Shia now, which I think him being an ex-player that and and having two ex-players as coaches, I think will keep the rivalry alive. There are new chapters to be written, new players to be added to it. I think if you went and outsourced and had some guys who aren't attached to Duke and Carolina as head coaches, then that might damper it a little bit. But the fact that it's Hubert Davis and John Shire, I think will certainly add to the legacy of this rivalry. Well, yeah, and, and Fiddy, as a Four Corners podcast host on the Heel Tough blog, you are decked out in the Carolina blue today. I don't see you wear that shirt often, but your shirt says, keep calm and hate Duke. Yep. Because this is a rivalry that still, to me, is the biggest. And Myron Goodman, you know, big shout out to my guy, Myron. He said that it's still the best rivalry in sports. How much weight do you still put on this despite the last two games? Uh, Yeah, it, it still is because what other rivalry <clears throat> has what North Carolina Duke has? Where they're so close in, proxim- uh, in, 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 in proximity. Both teams generally are going to compete for ACC and national titles. It may not be true today. But by the time they meet in March, it very well could be true for either one of those two teams. You do have two former players that played at their schools at a high level leading these programs. 
And I always go back to a Coach K quote about the rivalry whenever he was asked about this in the mid-2000s. And he said, it's not about Coach K versus uh, Coach Smith or Coach K versus Roy Williams. Duke and Carolina will be here forever. And the thing that I've taken, it's it's our job that love this rivalry to 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 make it a big deal, to take care of the rivalry, to promote the rivalry. Because the ESPNs, they're going to tell you that Louisville, Kentucky is a better rivalry. Are they? No, they're not. Even though, yeah, they do. Even though they play that game on a Friday at two o'clock in the middle of the winter time, it's our job to make it feel like it's still the the best damn rivalry in sports. And for how many, dude, even the COVID year, it didn't feel like Duke Carolina. You still got a classic in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Like, people have tried to tear this rivalry down, and all it does is every time they play, it writes a new chapter. How many times have you heard that? I've, I, very frequently in the college basketball community. By, by like who, though? I just, because they always make a huge deal about it. Yeah, they always, I've never heard they that. They always give you the highlight montage. They always set up, they always promote the hell out of it. Now, all, it, it certainly used to be that way. I just, I don't remember ever seeing that, to be honest with you. Do you so, not follow Jeff Goodman on Twitter? I mean, well, one, he's not with ESPN anymore, but... Well, he got fired because of that take. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if, that, if that's the case, then ESPN doesn't believe it. Um, yeah, man, for me, I, I still think it holds a lot of weight. North Carolina has a ton of leverage right now. North Carolina fans get to say, oh, really? We retired Coach K at Cameron Indoor? And we retired you, period, when we beat you in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And those are huge bragging points. There's no doubt. And, all, like, it's huge, right? Because Coach K, the, the, the real thing about him losing in Cameron Indoor is how much he loves that arena. I mean, he talks about salvaging it. He talks about doing everything they can in order to keep its life as long-lasting as possible. Basketball safe haven. So, so for the fact that he loves that place and for him to go down a loser in that place, that's huge, right? Like, especially when it comes at the hands of your rival, here's what I, here's why I don't think it's dead by any means. And maybe, maybe it can be shifting into a different chapter for sure. Now that Roy Williams and coach K, I think the timing of their retirement is interesting too. the fact that it was only within a year worth of each other, right? Like Hubert Davis comes in and then, you know, coaches that team, his first ever season to a championship that just so happens to be coach K's final season. I think the fact that you do have this game, um, excuse me, that one year where both coaches retire, I think that matters. So you could be going into a different chapter, but I don't think it's dead. I think what you said, Wes, players that were in this rivalry that are now head coaches, I think that matters. And I just think it's going to resurrect to maybe where it was back in the day when both of these teams are perennial powerhouses. That's just not how it's been, right? Like when, when both of these teams give you, I don't know, two, three, four years of consistent powerhouse play, I think that's when we're going to not forget about what happened because you don't forget about any of the great moments, but it's certainly going to feel like it used to. And that's what it's going to take. And they've had some of their best games when both of these teams have been unranked, but as far as you said, in the national consciousness from here to California, they need to be perennial powers and teams that are competing for Final Fours, et cetera. But... I don't feel in the least, like I said, that this rivalry has has taken a hit at all. They lost two legendary coaches, sure, but just look at – now, those might be some of the arguments, and I think that's going to be interesting going forward to hold it up against other rivalries in sports because Michigan-Ohio State has had tons of coaches. 
that have been a part of this rivalry, and it hasn't lost a bit of its appeal. Well, and what's interesting about that, too, is Duke did not have a great history before Coach K. Okay. It wasn't fantastic. They went to three Final Fours in the 1960s and a Final Four in 78. Yeah, they were pretty good. But it wasn't like Coach K level where North Carolina, before Roy Williams, had Dean Smith. Before Dean Smith, had Frank McGuire. Like, you're talking about an actual debate on who the best coach is in North Carolina history, and those two didn't even start it. You're not having a debate with Duke basketball, and that's my point. And so, yes, it's not like Duke was awful before Coach K came into place, but they didn't have the history Carolina did. Right. Like how many everybody, everybody in this area, they know Dean Smith. They know Roy Williams and Frank McGuire, probably a little bit on the back burner. Man, how many people know about Bill Foster? <laughs> like, I, I mean, know. I, OK, you do. But you wear Carolina outfit probably four out of the five times a week. And when you don't, it's Mets or Cowboys gear. Right. Like, so. All right. One shirt. I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst joke ever. And yet it still somehow makes me laugh. So it doesn't mean that they didn't have a history, but we can all admit Carolina, a little different. We've already gone through in Carolina, as far as a Heels fan goes, that changed before. Duke has not. And then Carolina's going through it again with Hubert Davis. And so I think that is a kind of an interesting point as well. All right, let's go around the room and discuss Carolina Duke favorite moments of all time. So let's start with you, Wes. As a Wake Forest guy, mm-hmm. somebody that played football uh-huh. on Tobacco Road, uh-huh. did you have favorite Duke Carolina moments? Did you care about this rivalry as well? I I just said on on Jeff's show, uh, Charlotte Sports Today, that that rivalry is ingrained in you when you grow up in this state. And I said, I'm I'm so North Carolina, not Tar Heels. Let's not get it twisted. I said that when the games would be on Jefferson Pilot and Raycom and they'd be on ESPN at the same time, I watched Jefferson Pilot's uh, coverage. I did not want to watch sure. it on ESPN. Oh, yeah. I wanted to hear Brando and 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 those type of uh, guys on there. So that's where I met with it. So when you talk about favorite memories, uh, Cable's shot at the buzzer immediately comes to mind to go to overtime. How many people do you think realize that that actually like didn't win the game? It's kind of funny. I know. They, they yeah. painted up as if it won the game, but it did not. <laughs> uh, the Stackhouse is dunk. Yeah. How can you ever forget that? The strut afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, recent memory, the shot by, um, oh, what's his name? The, well, is it is it Tyus Jones? Yes, 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 yes. Or Trey Jones. Jones. Trey Jones. Trey Jones. Trey Jones. Trey, not Tyus. Uh, but for me, I, I would say probably the top would have to be the Austin Rivers shot. Uh, of course. It's it's, I mean, I it's turned. It. Just, a, just it's, a dagger at the end of the game to beat Carolina. It doesn't get better than that. It's literally the least favorite for me. <laughs> I mean, over all of them. That that one's it. You you picked the least favorite the moment. Face he made after. Yeah, I mean, his Carol- fine sister jumping up and down after he hit the shot. <laughs> okay, Ow. Carolina had a ten point lead in the final minute, yeah. right? I think yeah. it was I think it was ten points, and then they just keep chipping away. Eventually, Tyler Zeller doesn't step out fast enough, and Austin Rivers hits it. And pretty unlikable Duke player Austin Rivers was. Yeah. Like he's not JJ Redick level. He's not you know some of the other guys there, but Austin Rivers. Pretty disliked Duke player. Fiddy, what are some of your favorite moments? Uh, how long do I have? Yeah, give me top, <laughs> give yeah, me, me top three. Yeah, you can okay. go two or three. All right, so Concise. top three uh, is, is easily <clears throat> what happened last year in Cameron Indoor Stadium, ruining that that arrogant uh, yeah. that arrogant man's retirement ceremony, <laughs> then, then effectively putting him in retirement with the shot over Mark Williams in the Final Four. So that's pretty much what a... 
1B. The second has probably got to be the Zion game because it was a top 10 matchup and a game that nobody gave Carolina a chance. Everyone was there to watch Zion. Even Barack Obama took some time touring to come watch we, Zion play. Uh, okay. And it we, was just an afterthought that Carolina was going to play, and that game was over at halftime. We remember coverage of this rivalry differently the last few years, because I do not remember. this. You're talking about the Zion ACC Championship semifinal? No, 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 no he's no, talking sorry, about the game gotcha. when he blew out his shoe. I'm not going to talk about a loss, Walker. I did. You're talking about when he blew gotcha. out his shoe? When he shoe? blew out his shoe. Okay, gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, that. gotcha, gotcha. So, I thought, well, you said Zion. One, I was reading some text. Two, you mentioned Zion. I thought you were talking about the semifinal. Game. Yeah, no. And then third, you got to go back for me all the way back to 2012 because that's the last time they met with the ACC regular season on the line. That was the game in the same year they blew the, the, the game on the Austin River shot. And Carolina was up 48 to 24 at halftime. It's the quietest I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. That hell, that, that hell hole that is Cameron Indoor Stadium. So, yeah, I remember that game too. Um, for me, I, I think. I'm going to go with one that we haven't mentioned. So we're going to talk with Marvin Williams later on in the show at 120. Has one of the bigger moments in the rivalry too. 2005 grabs the rebound, hits, which it, it feels wrong to call it a layup. You, you go back and watch that play. It was a much harder shot. It was not an easy shot. No, it wasn't. And he got fouled. And so Marvin Williams hitting that shot with 17 seconds left to win that game. Awesome moment from Marvin, who would eventually go on to be a champion with that 05 team. So that's one I go to. I will go to that semifinal loss. How? And, but here, here's why. Because I was there, and it was the first North Carolina Duke game I ever got to be and attend in person. And, I mean, look, it's, it's going to be hard to sell it to Heels fans, and I get it. But that game was bananas. Like, to watch Zion Williamson, one of the best one-year college athletes we've ever seen in our entire lifetime. Right. Hit at at the end of the game, basically, hit that shot to give up to put him ahead. I was on the baseline. So I'm on the floor, man. Like it is an experience of goosebumps for me. It was phenomenal to see. And then Kobe White jumper goes begging, but it's back iron. It was on the line. And I was there on the baseline. He literally shot it at the exact line where I was, and I thought it was good. And then it just bounces out. That game was was crazy though. It was a fun back and forth contest. I think he's gonna jump over the table. Yeah, I think yeah, I I get it. But but here's another one. Hey, let me end on a win real quick. One we did not mention. How about two thousand one? Brendan Haywood is the hero at the free throw line. This guy was an awful free throw shooter. Okay, we're talking about 2001 where it was his worst free throw shooting season throughout his four-year career with the Heels. With 1.2 seconds left, Brendan Haywood hits both free throws in a tie ball game to win 85-83 to at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I, I, I remember being in my living room. I think I, I wasn't even 10 years old yet. I think it was like 8 or 9 and I remember being in my living room thinking, great, this is going to go to overtime and Duke's going to find a way to win. I had not, I had zero faith in Brendan hitting those free throws, but he made them, made them both. That guy did. And I just thought that was so improbable, the fact that he was able to do that and win the game. That's one of my favorite games, regular season, Duke Carolina rivalry. That's another favorite moment of mine going back into the rivalry. Yeah, I mean, and then like some of the big dunks, like when Danny Green dunked on um the green Greg team Paulus, baby yeah when he dunked on him didn't um jason cable have a uh a, a big face of dunk on duke maybe but i'm sure heels fans don't even like that anymore <laughs> i was trying to remember <laughs> and I, then I'm, if i'm recalled didn't i'm trying to remember because i cut up tape of all these guys didn't grant here have one where he was on somebody's back 
Or was that somebody else? He That's a little before somebody. my time, so I'd have to live in highlights. But yes, I, I'm maybe. I mean, Grant Hill was like that, so I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, somebody else wrote in. How about Tyler Hansborough with his game in Cameron Indoor, the the astonishing contest? What was it like? He went for the jersey. What? Well, how many? How many did he go for? Did he go for forty? No, he scored thirty as a freshman. Thirty as a freshman <clears throat> to ruin JJ Reddick's senior night. Yeah, crazy game there from Tyler Hansbrough too. And JJ. All right, we can live in nostalgia a little bit later on in the show too. But now let's go to the first fitty flash of the day. What you got, fitty? Uh, I do just want to send some pushback on some people who said my claim about people claiming that Kentucky Louisville was the best rivalry in yeah, college basketball. A uh, Bleacher Report did publish an article in 2012 explaining why it had surpassed Duke and so Carolina. So not ESPN. That was the first one I found. You know, I was, you know, the text line was going, you were talking. I couldn't do two things at once. Uh, speaking, though, of Duke, Duke's women's head basketball coach, Kara Lawson, claims that they played the first half of Sunday's loss to Florida State with a men's ball instead of a women's ball. The ACC has since come out and refuted that accusation. If that's found out to be true. Mm-hmm pretty bad look for the league that's trying to promote the women's game isn't it yeah it just yeah, it, I think it, so. yeah it feels weird that you would not have the right basketball to be playing with especially in the first half and that would absolutely mess with your game entirely it's gonna it's gonna make the product worse when you're dealing with a completely different basketball and that'd be true for the reverse by the way right like trying to shoot a smaller basketball if the men played with a women's basketball have you ever tried to shoot that after shooting a men's basketball it's really difficult <laughs> i got small hands <laughs> no it's crazy it's crazy different so that absolutely would matter in that contest all right let's take a oh, wait quick... real quick i just wanted to say grant hill did dunk on eric montrose and sat on his back for a second of course you want to end with that i, know. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> you would want to end with that all right let's visit the <laughs> campus corner coming up next sports radio 92.7 wfnz Walker Show is back. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Got my man Walker Mail, Josh Fitty Marlowe in the cut. And it's one of my favorite times of the show. I like every time on the show, but one of my favorite times, the Campus Kona. I like that. That's how they say it at the shop, the Campus Kona. We'll put, a, put an A-H right shop. after the C. Yeah, a little Kona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, starting things off, Oklahoma and Texas won't leave early for the Big 12. According to ESPN, Texas and Oklahoma have been unable to come to an agreement to leave the conference for the SEC before the 2025 season and are unlikely to leave before then. That means the two teams would be Big 12 members for the next two football seasons before the SEC expands to 16 teams. What do we make of this? Well, I'm just, are, are you going to be frustrated when they leave? Like, do you welcome the SEC having these teams in? Or would you rather have them in, in the Big 12 and that conference still exists? Because these are powers, right? Like mm -hmm. leaving the Big 12. It's going to be the end of any kind of care that we have about them. So that's unfortunate. It's not like I'm this big, big 12 homer, if you will. But when you have them entering the SEC and just creating the power that is that conference now, I'm going to hate to see that day. So I'm glad it's not happening any earlier. Well, college football, its history has always been a lot of movement, teams moving conferences and stuff throughout history. 
But I am here for it because I think that for the fan, we're going to benefit. We're going to get better games on a week-in, week-out basis. We're going to get more marquee games every week. I'm, You know, the adjustment, it will take a bit of that as far as when we're watching Big Ten and uh, SEC football going forward. But like I said, we're going to get bigger matchups, uh, hopefully not as many cupcake matchups during the season uh, that we get. So I'm here for it. Next up on the agenda, Nick Saban wants Tommy Rees, formerly of Notre Dame, as his new offensive coordinator. Do you feel like Nick Saban is going for low-hanging fruit with Tommy Rees, or do you feel like he should be shooting for a bigger splash like Clemson did with uh, Garrett Riley? Nick Saban is a made man. Nick Saban can do whatever he wants. And here's the thing. Even if he's not going after what is this big splash hire of a guy, and we've seen him do that quite a bit already, but he doesn't have to, right? Are we going to view Alabama, at least in the preseason, any differently than another offensive coordinator being there outside of Tommy Reese? Because I'm not going to view Alabama any differently. If they have the strong recruiting class, if they have Nick Saban as their head coach, I don't know what you could do with that coaching staff to make me think, oh man, it's going to be a real down year for them. If they've got the players, if they got Nick Saban, then I feel the Crimson Tide are going to be a championship contender. And by the way, it's not like Tommy Reese is bad, right? Like, I don't think he's not... Maybe he doesn't have the track record that a Bill O'Brien has, or maybe he doesn't have the offensive mind that Elaine Kifton has, even though I know that name makes you angry, Wes. So <laughs> even if he's not that kind of high profile, it's not like this is the worst hire in the world. And so for me, it doesn't change how I view Alabama going into any college football season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We know how much talent the Crimson Tide has, but coming in with a new offensive coordinator, figure out things with Jalen Milrow, a quarterback, or Ty Simpson, or Eli Holstein, the freshman. So... Having a new guy back then losing a Heisman winner like Bryce Young is going to be a uh, big transition indeed. I think that Saban at this point, his eye for coaches, I mean, it's top-notch when you talk about it at the collegiate level. He always knows what his team needs. We can't question it like you said. All the guy does is win. He brings in good coordinators and revives their career, makes you hot again. Once you get that Nick Saban kiss he does you're hot he he does feel like he is the defibrillator in the coaching world where oh okay you got some problems that you kind of went through lane kiffin come on we're gonna go ahead and oh steve steve sarkeesian yep steve put the beers up and come on in you need a job cool Mm -hmm. come on oh bill o'brien you you were a complete jerk with houston no that's fine like scarface when he say hey willie you need a job that's what nick saban (laughs) does you need a job it's 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 an awesome call to receive from nick saban knowing hey i'm gonna get back in the game again all right uh acc basketball outside Outside of Duke and Carolina this weekend, my Demon Deeks traveled to Notre Dame. I'm a little worried about this game. Notre Dame is 10-5 and five at home. We know Notre Dame can shoot the three ball. I think they'll be licking their chops uh, for my Demon Deacons coming in, losers of four in a row. All right, I'm going to ask you guys a question that I want you to guess on. How low do you think tickets are for this game? What is the lowest price as reported by <laughs> well, ESPN? Well, I'm looking at it. Okay, so, Fiddy, what do you think if you're oh. not looking at it? Okay, well, just go ahead and rip. Just, I, mean, I was going to guess three. You, you took my game, and then you wiped your butt with I'm it sorry. immediately. It's okay, but no, it's $9. And he, what's does funny that is, with, he does that with everything. <laughs> Wes is ruining games. And so what's funny is it's lower than Louisville and Florida State, which is easily the worst game on the slate. Yeah, because Wake Forest is not playing as well. That would be an awful loss. I mean, especially oh, with, yeah. the, with the three losses that you have in a row, that's going to be full-blown pressure for Steve Forbes. I'm not that trusting point. that. I, I feel like Notre Dame probably gets it done. So you're I'm in just full despair mode right now at yeah, this point I in mean, the Wake Forest season? 
Even even if it wasn't a beatdown that they played against Duke, you don't care. You, the L still holds the same I mean, exact. Four straight. It would be bad if they lost to that. All right, so um, we got. Oh, what were we gonna say? Well, no, I was just gonna go down through the schedule again. Clemson hosting Miami, right? A yeah. ranked matchup between those my two job. squads. It is your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the big one this weekend, though. Clemson and Miami. Uh, Clemson coming off an uh, upset to Boston College this week. Is there trouble in Tigerland, or do they right the ship? Because Miami's coming off an L as well. Yeah, I think there's trouble in Tigerland, and and I know what what what's the top the the net rankings. I think they do respect the schedule that Clemson has gone through this year. And if you look at Miami, and I'm sorry, Miami beat Virginia Tech last time out. I was thinking about the pit game. That, that's all right. Miami being 23rd, 17 and five. It's going to be a tough matchup for them. And if you look at them though, they've actually gone 500 in their most recent games, and they lose to Georgia Tech on the road. That's a pretty bad loss for Miami, 76 to 70. They did lose that game you lose to state it was a tough one though 83 to 81 you do lose to duke but it was on the road and it was only by a bucket you did only lose by a bucket to pittsburgh too like this is something where miami is in every single contest that they play they're losing but they're losing one possession games i ultimately think that they actually hit the road and they have two wins in a row by the way for the first time since the virginia notre dame consecutive wins ever since then it's been back and forth on whether they would win or lose i think clemson gets it done undefeated at home hunter tyson and chase hunter get things back on track they'll be mad because of that loss i think they take out miami uh, other notable games, Georgia Tech and NC State. NC State, I think, is going to slap Georgia Tech. I don't think that will be much of a challenge for them. NC State's been playing awesome, man. Like, yeah. and, and I'm happy for Kevin Keats, but really, it's just fun to watch that basketball team. Yeah. You know, like this is not this is not a squad where you okay. They're going to play well at the beginning, and then once they get into some tough conference play, they're going to fold, and we're going to have NC State not reach the NCAA tournament. This team is totally legit. Having that backcourt is fun. DJ Burns living up to the hype, not only just giving you the mid-major powerhouse that he was, but he is taking that from Winthrop and applying that to ACC play. They've been a lot of fun. Yeah, and then Virginia-Virginia Tech, an interesting game. That's the other big rivalry game on slate for this weekend. I don't think Virginia should have much problems with them, but it's a rivalry game. Many problems with them, but, uh, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, it's a rivalry. Virginia Tech has them at home, so it could be interesting. I still think Virginia gets it done. Well, Virginia Tech, you know, you need some big wins. You need to continue to stack up all the big wins that you possibly can, and so this is a good opportunity for them. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to look inside of the Panthers organization. What will we find? That's coming up next on the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.